Each evening night falls and darkness consumes the earth. And then with no effort of our own, radiant light that lifts her head just above the horizon. This is not a surprise. We mark our days with the rise and fall of light every day. Growing up with faint lines of a Native American heritage, I was intrigued by the ways of Native American culture. I now know that actually much of the way that I relate to God derives from my younger years of studying the human body in relation to creation. The mystery of the land and body coupled with the hope of a divine entity guided Native Americans. When the crops needed water, they would posture themselves in such a way to invite and invoke something or someone bigger than themselves. When moments of celebration occurred, they lifted their voices in thanksgiving to the unknown. And yet, what intrigues me most is that when evening came, they did not question that morning would come. No, instead, surrounded by community, they would often welcome the night, trusting that radiant light would wake them. This unwavering trust is slightly surprising for Native Americans who we know to be a people who embraced and often feared the mysteries of creation. And yet, radiant light appears differently for different people. Radiant light appeared much differently on the plantations in the South. For there, radiant light didn't come when the sun rose. Instead, for there, just as the sun rose and the cusp of sunlight broke the horizon, darkness fell. Early in the morning, slaves would be woken with force and hurried into the fields. There their backs would ache and their fingers bleed. Their bodies bore the marks of oppression and persecution. Yet though circumstantial light was not visible, somehow from deep within themselves, they mustered radiant light. Across the fields, you could hear it. You could hear the songs of plea and hope rising. Their bodies were hunched towards the ground, but somehow simultaneously postured towards the divine. Radiant light. It can be both visible with the eye, and yet at times just something felt deep within the spirit. Sometimes it's an addition to the light all around, and sometimes it's found only in the darkest of places when one is desperate for a flicker of hope. I wonder this morning if there are any of us who might be in a place so dark that you are eager and hungry and looking for a flicker of light. Isaiah chapter 60 begins with this moment where the people of Zion are desperate. They're in darkness and they're searching for light. They're hoping for radiant light. After being forced from their lands, enduring persecution, the people of Zion find themselves in distress, in darkness. This, in, in this poem, Isaiah calls to them. The people are spread far, the land is in ruins, fear of Zion ceasing to exist plagues them. Yet Isaiah calls, arise, 
shine, your light has come. This command is not a statement of fulfillment, but rather it is a prompting to muster motivation. The exclamation points after each part emphasize this command's urgency and gives it energy. This poem is not a foretelling of a world that will be. No, rather it is an imagining of a world that could be. A world where Zion is no longer known for her chaos, but now stands as the envy of all other nations. She is an example to all other ruling empires in the world. A place where those who have evacuated and fled for safety may now journey home and the distress of extinction no longer has to plague the minds of the people of Zion. A location where fear no longer cripples its people, but rather inspires gleeful rejoicing. A land that is brimming with the ability to care and tend for the needs of her inhabitants. Imagine it. What would it be like to have this kind of world? What was it like then for the people to imagine it? What is it like now for us to imagine this world? Imagine what it would be like for the United States to be a place that served as a safe haven for refugees and immigrants. Imagine what it would be like for all people, yes, all people, to experience safety, unbiased rights, just and fair systems, despite their race, their age, their ability, their gender, their sexual orientation, or their class. Imagine what it would be like if our love of the earth was actually so important to us that we no longer had to fear the weight of global warming. Imagine what it might be like for the entire world to not look to the, rest, the West because of our military might, but to instead see us as an example of goodness and light. Isaiah's poem begins with, Arise, shine, your light has come. Or as the message says, Get out of bed, Jerusalem. Wake up. Put your face to the sunlight. God's bright glory has risen for you. Again, this poem is not describing a world that will be. This poem is sharing the possibilities of a world that could become manifest by the labors of the people of Zion. But for that to happen, well, it requires effort. It requires movement. It requires them to imagine anew to heed the example of the Native Americans and posture their bodies to the discipline of labor, and to posture their spirit to find the same hope that could not be quenched by the oppressiveness of the southern plantations. Imagine it, the embodiment of radiant light just peeking over the horizon. Imagine it, their efforts bringing forth the light that is epiphany, bringing forth the revelation that is epiphany. Now, we have a lot of misconceptions about what epiphany is. 
So I thought on this Epiphany Sunday, I might tell you a few of the epiphanies and revelations I've had in the last year or the last few months of living here in the Midwest. I recently had the epiphany that everyone does not celebrate New Year's Day the way that I celebrated it growing up in Southeast Texas. In Southeast Texas, we had a New Year's Day traditional meal, which is what my father told us when he forced us to eat it. This meal might be similar to some things that you do, but it had very, a very, very strong structure. One, we had black-eyed peas for luck, right? Two, we had cabbage cooked with a dime, hopefully sterilized. Three, we would have pork of some, time, of some kind to celebrate and, and think about wealth. And fifth, I mean, fourth, I got off on my counting, but fourth, we would have my least favorite, which is unsugared cornbread to represent gold. It is as gross as it sounds. <laughs> but apparently, this is not something that everyone does. But we did it in the South. That's what we did. Or maybe just in East Texas. I'm not quite sure. Also, since moving to Kansas City, I've had the epiphany or the realization that I probably really should learn how to parallel park. You actually do that here? <laughs> But until I learn, I'm just going to continue to say that I love walking. So don't ride with me unless you also love to walk. I also have learned since moving to the Midwest, which several of you have continued to ask me about how I'm doing in the winter, that one of my misconceptions as a child, because I love all things winter sports, all movies, it's my favorite thing is that people who live in places where it snows annually or just often don't actually dress all the time like they look like they're ready to go dog sledding. It's not a thing. You see, we tend to think of epiphany as a thing that comes to our minds just a little too late, like each of these things did for me. Or as realizations that surprise us or dumbfound us. But perhaps we need to broaden our understanding of epiphany. If we were to have a fuller definition of epiphany, I think it would tell us that epiphany has much more to do with posture, with radiant light, with movement and inclusion. For these, after all, are the manifestation of the divine. On Epiphany Sunday around the world, Congregations are gathered, celebrating the journey, the arrival, the gifts of the Magi. Our faith tradition tells of those who journeyed from afar, guided by the stars, one specific star, carrying gifts for a toddler king. The Magi stand as a symbol of the divine revealed for all of humanity. They were not Jewish, and yet they were welcomed into the presence of the skin-wrapped divine. They did not fit the ideal, and yet they were welcomed into the presence of the divine at its most vulnerable. You see, the gift of the Magi is not frankincense, myrrh, or gold. It is their presence in the story of the Christ child. For their presence fills full the manifestation of Isaiah's words. The wealth will come to you from all the nations. And they shall bring gold and frankincense. And they will proclaim praise to the Lord. 
for their arrival, their journey, their gifts, and even maybe most important, their proclamation and affirmation is the epiphany of Christians around the world today. The Magi's inclusion in the birth narrative is our epiphany that the divine is radiant light for everyone. It is the truth that when Isaiah says, your light has come, that he's speaking to all people, not just the Jews, not just those who were ideal and fit the bill to everyone. Now, we like to contemplate the origins and the people the Magi might have been, but perhaps for this epiphany, we might also consider what prompted them. Was it really a colliding of stars that drew them? If so, why did they bring gifts? How did they know that a child had been born? Had they heard the rumors of the one who would embody radiant light? And if so, had they heard that such a light would not exclude or limit who could feel the warmth of its beams? I wonder if the Magi's lands were home to Zion's scattered children. I wonder, did those children sing daily the poem of Isaiah 60? Were the Magi's daily lives inundated with rejoicing of the possibilities of what Zion could be? Were they prompted by their own inward stirrings of new beliefs that light had come? It's easy for us as Christians to read the Old Testament passages and understand the New Testament through them. Even the early church did this, right? And I can't help but do this when I read this passage. I wonder, did the stories of old, the call to awake the sleepy people of Jerusalem, spur the Magi to move? And then, why the Magi? Why them? And I want to know, how were they postured to receive such an epiphany? Native Americans contorted and contort their bodies in dance. Slaves lifted their voices though their backs were hunched. Plants turned towards the sun's vibrant rays. Jews used prayer postures to connect with Yahweh. Even Isaiah would have been mindful of his posture as he prophesied, light had come. And the Magi? Well, it would seem that they had their eyes fixed on the horizon. They had their ears open to hear. Their physical posture as they journeyed. Their physical posture of movement. Well, it reflects an inward posture stirring within their spirit. And we can't define epiphany without thinking about our posture of spirit. Holding the tension of both fear and acceptance of the mysteries of creation, God, and faith. I read Isaiah's poem and I am prompted to believe that what is being asked of Zion's children is actually a calling for the church, for you, for me. For us to not allow laziness or doubt to immobilize us, but rather for the hopeful possibilities to wake us from our stupor. That we might enter into a posture 
to receive God. That we might enter into a posture to embody the work of being radiant light. Epiphany invites us to consider what could be, to imagine, to dream anew, to expand our definition of your to one that is much more robust, and then to embrace an existence that actually is as robust as that definition. Epiphany invites us to consider what gifts we can bring and to consider our posture before God and before each other. Epiphany invites us to imagine how we might live as radiant light of Christ, boundlessly without limits, shedding our beams on all people. So, get out of bed, Second Baptist Church. Wake up, put your face to the sunlight, for the glory of God has risen on you. And yet, what do you do when darkness overwhelms you? What do you do when your spirit is hunched to the ground? What do you do when you are crippled by fear of the unknown and the uncertain? I urge you, do as the Native Americans do. Do as the Magi did. Welcome the darkness and trust that radiant light is just on the horizon. For radiant light has come. It dwells within you. Now go and be radiant light.